Okay, good morning everyone. Um, it looks like the blue containers have uh, done their rounds. It's just wonderful to be uh, all together, end of a month, and to just enjoy such an excellent time of worship, uh, just enjoying God's presence uh, together. Now you'll know if you're uh, part of City Church or regularly with us on a Sunday that often when I'm preaching we're looking through Mark's Gospel, but an occasion like this and all together, when we come together, gives us the opportunity as well to look at uh, important topics in the life of the church, uh, which is what we're going to do today, with the help of one uh, passage of scripture in particular. Uh, that topic is uh, breaking bread, or what is also sometimes called the Lord's Supper, or communion. In fact, one of our songs we were singing just a little while ago uh, referred to it, and some time ago we realized as leaders that it's possible that this is a vital part of New Covenant Church life that as a leadership we only actually talk about in conversation when somebody says, why don't we break bread on a Sunday? Um, which kind of sets it up in a slightly odd way. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at breaking bread and we're going to look at when we do do it um, and we're going to just run through a passage and be answering the question as we go, biblically speaking, why do we break bread? What's important about breaking bread? And as we do that, we'll look at some other questions as well, like when, and where, and how. How do we prepare for breaking bread together? And what? What to expect? And uh, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Now I wonder if the Corinthian church were thinking, this is one area of life they did particularly well at. And then Paul wrote his letter, and they got a rude, uh, a rude wake-up call, a bit of a shocking um, challenge from Paul. So we're going to read uh, and see what Paul was saying to, uh, to the Corinthian believers, and then look and try and apply some of this stuff uh, to our own situation. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn there. If you don't, the scripture references will come up on the screen uh, above the stage. And we're going to start in verse 17. Paul writes, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you uh, have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to test himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we'd not come under judgment. When we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. That last statement there has to be possibly one of the most intriguing statements in Scripture. You kind of think, well, what else were you going to say? Uh, what are the other directions? That would be really helpful. But thank you, Paul, for what you have written. This is great. Um, so here is um, an important subject in the life of of the church. Like I say, I wonder if the Corinthians were expecting to be uh, congratulated or praised for how they handled things, how they handled this aspect of church life in particular. And then just reading through some of the first uh, verses in the first paragraph, very quickly, um, they would have been um, corrected from that way of thinking. Verse 17, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Jump ahead to verse 20, and he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. It's like, how they are meeting is not just, it's not positive, it's not just neutral, they're wasting their time. It's, it's negative. It's doing real damage. There's something in the way they do breaking bread together, when they gather together, that is offending Jesus to the point where Paul is pointing out to them, look, Jesus is saying to you, well, this ain't in my name, because the way in which you're doing it is so contrary to me, my name, and my character. Whatever you call it, it's not the Lord's Supper, actually. What? This is devastating. Um, And then in verse 22, just rounding off that first paragraph, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. He's absolutely... um, hitting them right in the stomach with the reality of their meetings doing very real harm. So what should our response be to this particular passage? What should our response be uh, just generally uh, in terms of this subject? Like so many things, we can go in one of two directions, or we can vaguely sit in the middle perhaps, but we can, we can err towards fear. Oh no. Well, if we do this wrong... Bad things are going to happen. So uh, let's not do it. Let's, let's scrap it completely. Might you be tempted to follow that logic in other areas of life, I wonder? Uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians about a whole manner of things. Uh, he writes them about marriage. You might say, well, marriage is sometimes tough. Um, maybe there's a little bit I need to write to help you to see it differently. The message is not, marriage is tough, so stop. Don't, don't be married anymore in the name of Jesus. Or spiritual gifts in meetings. Um, there are some ways in which this is not working out great in Corinth, like you're just talking over each other the whole time. So in regard to spiritual gifts, my advice to you is stop. Don't, don't do it. Just dial back in that area. If, if fear gets a grip, we can receive things like that. Or we can receive uh, warnings, even as we heard in the time of worship. Think, well, there's this, this kind of a crossroads. There's a time of, of decision and uh, a time where God wants to do amazing stuff. Um, 
Uh, or maybe we're just thinking of, 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 of turning away, of stopping, of going the other direction. Think, oh, we just don't want to, we don't really want to go God's way. We're not really sure. And our, our response can just be fear or it can be faith. So in this particular passage for the Corinthian church, the fact that they're getting it wrong is leading to real damage and real harm. But let's consider the, the other side of the equation. Surely, doing it well in honouring of the Lord is going to bring about huge blessing. That's why I'm increasingly excited about breaking bread and I want us to look at it together um, in this context. There is a huge blessing that God has for his people in following his instructions and his word in this regard. I think the early church uh, got a hold of this uh, because the book of Acts tells us right at the outset of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, at this point really the church of God is a babe. Um, It's only just uh, begun really and in in chapter 2 we see that as people getting uh, getting saved and added into God's uh, new community and it says in chapter 2 of Acts verse 42 these early believers devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so I think that any and every church should not be mumbling about any of those things. Yes, we're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's like, no, the breaking of bread is a wonderful privilege, a huge blessing, and it's worth pursuing in faith and expectation of encountering God and encouraging us in our faith as often as we do it. So why do we break bread? What are the biblical reasons? We're going to look at just three of them. I think there probably are a few more, but uh, for the sake of just one message, we're going to look at three. And the first is this, to remember. To remember. We see that in uh, chapter 11 that we're looking at here in verse 23 through to 25. Uh, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we gather to break bread and share wine, what we're doing, one of the things that we're doing together, is we're looking back. We're looking back. We're remembering. Now, in this instance, on the night that Jesus was betrayed... He's gathered together with his disciples, his closest group of followers, uh, and they were already in the act of remembering something. They were gathering together for a special meal when they would be uh, looking back to a key point in the nation's uh, history, in the dealings uh, of God. We can see that uh, in a number of places, but one place we could turn to briefly is uh, Matthew chapter 26. And verse uh, 17 says there, 
on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. So they were celebrating a meal. They were celebrating an event in their history together called the Passover, remembering that time when as a nation they were in slavery in Egypt and living, um, well, it was barely what you would call a life. They didn't have a life of their own. It was entirely dictated to by a totalitarian ruler who wanted to do everything to squash them down and enslave them, making their lives an absolute misery. They called out to God in their despair, and God sent Moses, and through Moses sent ten plagues um, because of the stubbornness of Pharaoh who wouldn't let them go, but through the ten plagues, he eventually relented and through that 10th plague God instituted this meal the Passover those all people of Jewish descent living there would get got together that night or the original Passover in their houses and they sacrificed a lamb and they took the blood of that lamb and they painted it on the doorposts on the window frames of their house and then as the angel of death uh, passed through would see the blood on the doorposts and not bring the plague of death of the firstborn to that household. I mean, you just think about that for a moment. Surely there would have been really nice, pleasant Jewish people, even though they're suffering slavery. There would have been really, really grumpy Jewish people, less pleasant to spend time with. There'd be wonderful, dem- wonderful people living their lives in holiness and honour of God. There'd be others who had just really been wandering away from him, had not really been honouring him. But all that mattered on that night is that they were in a house with the blood of a lamb on the doorpost. It was the blood that rescued all of them from the judgment that God was bringing. This is what Jesus and his disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed was looking back. They were looking back to the death of a lamb that rescued other people. And Jesus knows then as they're approaching Passover because it was celebrated once a year, I think Jesus knows that his appointed time is coming near for that very reason that he knows that he's going to give his life. He knows that his blood was going to be shed and that the gospel would be declared and people would be rescued from judgment just because of his blood. That we can be living a life attempting to please God or we can be living a life having turned away from God, but all that counts, all that matters in us experiencing God's salvation is we're trusting in his blood. We're trusting in what he's done for us. So that meal would have involved lots of familiar actions. 
gathering together in household groups, the head of the household, in celebrating the Passover, would have broken the bread. They would have shared bread. They called it the bread of affliction. They were remembering that which they'd been rescued from. They were remembering that it was unleavened bread. They didn't have time to wait for the yeast to work through a batch of dough because they were getting ready for the exodus, for fleeing and being rescued from that nation. So they're remembering the affliction they got saved out of with bread that has no yeast in it. They'd also have a total of four cups of wine, the communal cups that were passed around the group that they would be drinking from. And there would be familiar words that the head of the household would follow in looking back to remember what had happened those hundreds of years before on that original Passover. So can you imagine the disciples' shock when in the middle of a Passover meal, Jesus departs from the script. He doesn't stick with the usual formula of words, but says words which must have been utterly startling to them, that when he had taken bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You've been looking back and you've been remembering that a lamb's blood was shed, now I'm saying, remember me. Bring to mind who I am and what I have done, or from the perspective of that night that he was betrayed, what was about to happen. He was about to offer his life as a sacrifice. This is the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he knew that weekend he was going to suffer and die for all of sinful humanity, for everyone who would call on his name, for everyone who would trust in his blood, he was dying for them. The apostles understood this. They celebrated this fact. Uh, Paul writes just earlier on in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 7, just cutting in really to the middle of a verse, just to say, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. That was the amazing truth that was reverberating through the early church as they devoted themselves to breaking bread. Someone perfect has given their life for us so that we are free from wrath. We're free from punishment. We're free from judgment. Celebrating the Lord's Supper involves looking back to Jesus' sacrifice of himself. Now, in the present, we might have questions battles, struggles, we might be suffering in the here and now, and those things can sometimes have the effect of dragging us back into a kind of slavery, dragging us back into unbelief, dragging us back into a lack of gratitude, as we're just, I've, I've felt it myself recently, I, I know for me there are certain questions that I'm pondering. Last week we looked at um, Psalm 13 briefly. One of those just gut-wrenching prayers of lots of questions. How long, O Lord? How long until you break in? How long until you intervene? How long until you change the situation? How long until you bring us kind of into something new and there's some real breakthrough? How long are we going to have to put up with this unknown 
We don't know what we're dealing with. What's around the next corner? How's life going to work out in the, in the next few weeks? Is my revision going to pay off? Am I going to get decent grades? How are we going to get through this? Are the sorts of questions, that, to one extent or another, can be bouncing around our mind at any given moment. The people of God, the Passover happened, the Exodus happened, God takes them into a promised land, and what do they face when they get there? Probably, well, great blessing, but also some questions, some battles, some challenges. What do we do now? And here is this occasion. Think, well, those things are not being ignored, but wait, stop. Every so often, I want you to look back. Remember what's happened. Remember where you've come from. Remember what God has done. It's so important that we don't treat breaking bread as a religious formality to do just because the Bible says. So we'll try and work out, oh, we, we don't want to get carried away and do it too often. Um, uh, let's just kind of roll through the motions of a very religious ritual what can feel like a very religious ritual no this is absolutely real this is because of real life in the present is absolutely vital that we take this opportunity as instituted by the lord jesus himself to look back and say that's what he's done for me that's what he's done for us who who am i i'm one who's been rescued I'm one who's been brought out of slavery. I'm one who's been set free. I'm one who's been brought into a promised land. And I'm one who sometimes has questions and struggles and uncertainties. But look back at what is certain. Remember what is absolutely rock solid. There are loads of stuff in the life that we don't understand and is not clear to us. So let's look back at what is clear. What has Jesus done? What happened on Easter weekend? What has his death achieved for us? So here's another question. When do we break bread? How often do we break bread? For the Jewish community, Passover once a year. But in Acts chapter 2, this was something they were devoted to. Now clearly that suggests there's, there's absolute, for us in the New Covenant, there's no rule. It's something to work out. We're not trying to kind of tick a list or hit a, a standard, but positively we're wanting to devote ourselves to something. Uh, one um, commentator on uh, this subject has, has written this. It is perhaps a great tragedy in the church. Sorry, I'll read that again. It is perhaps a great tragedy in the church that this meal often gets relegated to a minor role in the church's worship. Many observances of the Lord's table are relegated to a quick addition to a service. This supper was never designed to be a tacked on element of worship. Though we're not told how often to observe it, there can be no doubt that the call to engage in this meal as an act of remembrance was designed to bring believers together regularly. Now, that's one key reason why we actually don't break bread now, because we don't just want to tack it on, make it a quick, brief, rushed addition to a time when uh, we're gathering, perhaps devote ourselves to something else, devote ourselves to teaching, devote ourselves to, to corporate worship. Um, and so on. Uh, so for us as a church, as I believe every church has to work out how we're going to devote ourselves to these things. For us, uh, we break bread as a whole church when we gather at a family night, uh, which is on a Friday evening, um, about every six weeks. 
where we have an opportunity to not rush. Uh, now, sometimes as elders, we need to make sure we don't cram the agenda full of other, so much other news and information and events and feedback that it becomes that. That's the challenge. Nevertheless, that's the, that's the main reason for gathering. As members of the church, when we have a family night, we are looking forward to a massive, massive privilege and blessing that God has purposed for us to have. Might also raise the question, well, well where? What, what setting do we break bread? Obviously, that for us personally as a church, personally as a church, corporately as a church, uh, that answers the question to some extent. But it's also just worth taking note. The Passover was a national festival celebrated in households. It wasn't just necessarily a biological family. Others might be kind of brought in. But you've got people under one roof remembering the death of a lamb. The Last Supper, when Jesus with his disciples was celebrating the Passover, was with a group, well, I guess 13 of them, as long as Judas was there. A few more, maybe. Jesus, with a close-knit group of disciples that he was in close relationship with, under the same roof. And then we read in Acts chapter 2, well, let's just go there again. They devoted themselves, oh, got to find it, looking in the wrong direction. Acts chapter 2 Uh, We looked at verse 42 a moment ago, just reading on a little bit further in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So they were breaking bread in their homes. I wonder if that means that therefore for us as a church to devote ourselves to breaking bread rather than leave that as something that happens eight times a year, which is maybe just barely scraping devotion, um, we have the opportunity when we gather together midweek under the same roof as maybe approximately about 12 people, sometimes 15, sometimes six, um, and sees that as an opportunity when we don't have to rush but can spend time in recollecting, bringing to mind, celebrating, giving thanks for all that Jesus has done. And really, that's to be the tone of it. The tone is, we're giving thanks. We're recognizing what it cost Jesus to do for us. So it's kind of a sobering, powerful moment, but it needn't be sad and gloomy. This is a joyful celebration of all that Christ did for us. What else are we doing in addition to remembering. This passage also indicates that we're doing something else, which is proclaiming. In, uh, in verse 26 of the passage we're looking at in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. In other words, we're not only looking back to what happened that Passover weekend when Jesus was crucified and later raised to new life. We're also looking forward. There's a future perspective. We're looking forward to him coming again. Jesus himself was looking forward. He had a future perspective. Uh, the, the Passover meal was, 
was strengthening him in his faith as he anticipated his own massive suffering that he was about to undergo. He was looking beyond that too. Um, So if we see back in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 29. Well, reading from a few... Yeah, reading from verse 29. He says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He's looking ahead. We too can be uh, looking ahead, looking forward to that day when we will be with him in glory. Just turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 19. Let's get a reminder and a flavor of what eternity has in store for us. When we read in Revelation 19 verse 6, The Apostle John writing, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. That's what we're looking forward to, is uh, a massive, eternal, almighty, wonderful, glorious banquet laid out for God's people with Jesus himself present. John Stott, uh, on the subject, writes this. Talking of the Lord's Supper... The supper is a temporary provision. It looks forward to the Lord's coming as well as back to the Lord's death. It is not only a feast upon Christ crucified, but a foretaste of his heavenly banquet. It thus spans the whole period between his two comings. So celebrating the Lord's supper involves looking ahead to Jesus coming back. In other words, when we gather to break bread and share wine, we are affirming a few things together. We are proclaiming, we are declaring, we have not arrived at our final destination. This is not the end. We've received so much and there is so much more to come that we will enjoy together. Here's another question. What are we focusing on? What are you focusing on? Past sin? A feeling of unworthiness? The old me that was in completely a state of complete hopelessness and despair? Am I focused on all that which I don't deserve? Does breaking bread lead us to a point of just painful introspection? Or are we focused on our true spiritual identity as saints, yes, saved by God's grace, but saints with a glorious future rather than sinners being tolerated by God? New creations destined to be in glorious communion with God now and forever. Breaking bread by faith, helps us defeat hopelessness, defeat joylessness, 
run a knife through despair and feelings of condemnation and I'm not worthy and remind us of what Christ has done and as a result, who we are and where we are heading. I wonder if you are facing extreme hardship or suffering that the the cargo ship of an issue is fully loaded and is fully heading full steam ahead into uncharted waters what's going to happen Jesus at his appointed time was strengthened in this meal as he was looking ahead again in the here and now we live in so much uncertainty so many questions and so much of life that is completely unknown what breaking bread helps us to do is get our bearings we're looking back to something that is absolutely sure and certain and rock solid the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we're looking forward to something that is absolutely certain and sure and rock solid. Jesus is going to return and he's going to take all his people to be with him forever for a heavenly banquet. Those two vantage points, those two points in history help us right now when we don't know what's about to happen when we're unsure of what the future holds, where you and your family might be facing the most bleak of circumstances and God might bring glorious, wonderful deliverance or you might be going through an appointed time of hardship and suffering. Either way, we are strengthened in our faith when we gather together and break bread and share wine. Remembering what Christ has done, and remembering what he will do. Are you sure of that? Are you certain of that? Are you living with that as your focus? As a defining point of your life. It hasn't happened yet. But scripture is remarkably clear on the subject. That's what we have to look forward to. So what are we focusing on? The the breaking of bread, sharing of wine, is not intended to just lead to a, a, a painful, gloomy introspection like some kind of uh, form of unpleasant punishment or discipline. I'm still not worthy. I'm still not perfect. I'm still not good enough. I'm still just about keeping my head above hopelessness. Really? Is that what this meal is for? Or is breaking bread to kind of wake us out of that gloom and say, no, you have hope. We have hope. No, we're not under condemnation. We're not in despair. We might be puzzled sometimes. We might be perplexed sometimes. We might be hard-pressed sometimes. But we can be sure. We can be certain. We can build our life on what the Scripture tells us about Jesus' death and his coming again. Thirdly, what are we doing as we break bread and uh, share wine? Why do this? In other words, what's important about it? We're also recognizing, or your version of the Bible, your translation 
uh, may have the word discerning. We've been remembering Jesus' death. We've been proclaiming that death until he comes again. And we're also called, that this passage makes clear, to recognize his body. Recognize the body. Let's look just at the final few verses from verse 27. We'll see that come up. Paul writes, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. It's stated there negatively, but it's something for us to do positively, to recognize the body of the Lord. What on earth does that mean? Well, the whole context of this passage and the reasons why Paul has to write to the Corinthians and say, your meetings do more harm than good, is on this very point. They were not recognizing the body. And actually, that's why judgment was coming on them as a church. Um, It's almost like Paul gets a prophetic insight into this when he writes, that's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. God's kind of bringing some, pun, uh, some discipline on this church to try and wake them up and help them do things right in faith. In a nutshell, what would seem to be happening in Corinth is that when they get together to break bread, it would go a little bit like this. They wouldn't be gathering in a building quite like this one. They'd be gathering in somebody's home. Probably a wealthy person within the church who had a big house with a big courtyard and lots of rooms all the way around that courtyard. And so the church would gather. Let's say they did it on a Friday evening as well. And let's say that those who were particularly well off could either didn't need to work or knocked off work early. And so they turn up to the supper early. And they're shown through to a nice dining room. And there's a bit of a spread. Now, maybe it's a bit of a, a kind of bring-your-own affair as well. So they've kind of got their hampers, and they're all coming along, and they're going to share this meal together. And they've got all the time in the world and a lot of food. Um, and so they gorge themselves. And some of them are even taking it a bit too far and getting drunk because they're having too much to drink. Later on that evening, other members of the church arrive. And they're not quite as well off. They don't have as much money. They don't have as much food. And they have to work longer hours. They've been slaving away in that culture, quite literally slaving away, but able to make it to the meeting a little bit later on in the evening. And actually, sorry guys, um, well, there's no room in the, in the dining room and um, the caviar is gone. That, gla- that Bordeaux, real vintage, marvellous. Well, that's gone too. Um, so the best place for you, I mean, it's great that you've been able to make it, but um, can I just show you the courtyard over here? I know it's a little bit nippy, but there's a little bit of space there. And um, well, that, that's where the bread was. And uh, there's a few crumbs there now. And, um, and we've, we've brought our glasses outside. It's, it's, the, it's the dregs. And um, with those little crumbs that float in it, when other people have drunk from it. Um, Well, there you go. That's for you. Hallelujah. It's the Lord's Supper. Really? 
Can you see now why maybe the Lord Jesus is saying, I'm not putting my name to that. That doesn't honour me. The very reason I died and gave my life is to bring, pe- bring people together as one people, one new man, one group. Yes, with, with differences, and some are better off than others, but actually you're celebrating a meal to recognise that you're, you're my people, you're, you're one. Those differences are not like the main defining feature. They shouldn't be anyway. This should be a moment of celebrating together who we are as a people. So recognizing the Lord. It's about celebrating the Lord's Supper is about kind of affirming unity and togetherness and care for one another. So the problem in Corinth with all these divisions and differences, there was a total disregard for people who didn't have very much. Now, I wonder whether, whether the haves deliberately ignored the have-nots or just didn't think about them. Didn't think about it. I'm sorry, I didn't think. Is that ever kind of like sometimes a reason that, that you or I might offer? I, I'm, yeah, I've got to be totally honest. It did not cross my mind. So I'm kind of sorry. I wasn't trying to be malicious. I wasn't trying to hurt you. I wasn't trying to say something nasty. I wasn't trying to forget about where you're coming from, what life might involve for you right now. I wasn't, I wasn't deliberately ignoring you. I just kind of forgot. Didn't think about it. Well, that could be the explanation. Oh, we just didn't think. Oh, well, thanks for letting us know. I thought our meals were great, but now you come to mention it. Yeah, I can see that we're kind of excluding about half the people in this church. Oh, can you imagine the next time you turn up to core group? Everybody with a surname A to M is invited at six o'clock and eats proper nice food. And everyone with a surname N to Z comes at eight or half past eight. I say, oh, just, just wait a minute. We haven't quite finished. Well, we, we, we have actually finished, but maybe you could stay in the porch and... Um, and there's just only a couple of sofas, so we'll, we'll take the sofas. We're already there. And uh, we don't have any food for you, but we've had such a good time. It's unbelievable. I mean, just the presence of God as we chatted and ate and drank. Oh, you've arrived. Um, we'll just have a little scrape around. Can you imagine kind of just putting a massive dividing line down a group of people who should be celebrating, look, we're together. We've been brought together in a wonderful occasion. So, how do we prepare? What does it mean to examine ourselves? That's what this passage is encouraging us to do. Does it mean that if we can remember sinning in recent memory at all, we are unable to take part? No, we're not obliged to reach some condition of moral, spiritual perfection. But this passage is inviting us to honestly and seriously consider not only our relationship with Jesus, but our relationship with one another. And that's why I think it's absolutely important that when we break bread, it's not completely spontaneous. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it now. Because actually this scripture is encouraging us. No, examine yourself beforehand. Are there any ways, any reasons that I may have been ignoring and overlooking or offending my brothers and sisters. 
Is there any reason, have I been offending or taking for granted or ignoring my Savior? Well, actually, we, we need time. If, if, if it's important to recognize the body of people that we're a part of, we need to know, right, I'm, I'm going to be breaking bread on Friday night, for example, whatever. Therefore, now in the lead up to it, I, I need to do business with God. It's not about kind of painful introspection, but there is some level of personal scrutiny. Is there, some, is there something I'm just ignoring, or is there someone I'm ignoring? The Christian life, so often as we live it out, is learning to love and honor God, and it's learning to love and honor one another. That's why I think Peter can write to husbands and say, husbands, be considerate to your wives. Don't you realize your prayers are not getting answered because you are relating to your wife in a thoughtless way? Well, I just didn't think. I didn't put myself in her shoes. I don't really know what's going on for her. Well, you read in 1 Peter 3. Peter's saying, sorry guys, that's just simply not good enough. It's not okay. Well, I don't know what it's like to be in her shoes. Of course we don't. We've got to learn. It doesn't always come naturally. But see there, Peter kind of makes a prophetic link. Your prayers aren't being answered because you're not honoring your wife. So examine yourself. And there can be any number of other ways or other relationships in which the same thing can happen. Well, I, just, I wasn't thinking Well, no, by God's grace and by his spirit, we need to learn how to consider others. Then when we get together, we're celebrating our uh, our togetherness and we're caring for one another. Sometimes in in church life, if we head into just any situation or circumstance, just thinking, I hope I'm okay, I hope I'm all right, I hope I've got someone to talk to, I hope I feel secure, then we can very quickly just forget that maybe other people might be pondering the same sort of thing. Let's be ruthless with any issue that crops up that might damage our unity. When we get together to break bread, it's not just a personal, private celebration of me and my relationship with God. We're celebrating our relationship with God. I believe also we're celebrating our relationship with one another. Saying, kind of look at what God has done in in our lives as we were singing just a moment ago. So in faith, let's devote ourselves to breaking bread. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper, not as a religious or superstitious formality, but as a great privilege that brings huge blessing. If discipline was coming on the Corinthian church for just a a heinous lack of regard for other people when they broke bread, What is the blessing and the goodness that God intends to pour out on his people when we do it, and we do it in faith, and we do it in love together as a people? That is my encouragement to us as a church, um, to, to all of us. Let's look at what Jesus has done. Let's celebrate him, and let's celebrate being a people who honor him. Let's We'll worship God. If the band wants to come up, let's, uh, let's seize this opportunity just to continue to engage with him, engage with God. Father God, I want to 
thank you so much for your words. I want to thank you that you have instituted something that is not just for the sake of it. You don't just invite us to do things for the sake of it as a, as a religious formality, but there is real and profound blessing that you want to pour out on people who believe in your name, who've put their trust in your blood and what your blood has achieved. Thank you, Lord God, that whoever we are, putting our trust in Jesus means that we line ourselves up to be on the receiving end of simply amazing blessing. And so, Father God, I pray, Lord, for those of us who have put our trust in your blood, Father, strengthen us in our faith. For those of us who haven't, Lord, I pray that the promise of blessing draw us to receive what you have done in Jesus for us for all time. Amen? Let's stand and worship God together.